0: Welcome to the Momgasm podcast, blending motherhood, self-connection, sensuality, and pleasure,
1: normalizing what it means to be a mother and a sexual being.
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Momgasm podcast. This week, we got the lucky opportunity to sit down with local sex therapist, Natalie Rosen we were so excited to talk about the ins and outs of sex therapy and find out what it actually entails. We covered everything from what is it, who is it for, and common concerns for people inquiring about sex therapy. And I also fill her in about what my misconception was about sex therapy. Spoiler alert, I thought it was Tantra. We also cover what does being sexually healthy look like and how to define sexual fulfillment for yourself natalie is basically the modern day equivalent of sex with sue and answers all of our questions with so much ease we are very excited to share this conversation with you all so sit back tune in and enjoy um i can't
2: remember but she and she always interviews also freeform, like 45 minutes or an hour. And that one, we talked a lot about low desire. That's what she wanted Mm. to to talk about, yeah. Uh,
1: my God, I feel like we could do a whole
2: episode on that. Yes, you could do many, I'm sure. Well, yeah, (gasps) Yeah. we have have, already (laughs) done quite a few.
0: It's just an ongoing thing, low sex drive. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. like, that's just something that I think can just occur at any time in your life. Your transitions, your periods, the the seasons of your life, you know? Low sex drive, I think, is just common and when we enter a period of low sex drive a lot of us think that there's something wrong with us and that we'll never come out of it and i think Mm -hmm. the conversation that we are always having is like you do eventually come out of it you know well in our in our
1: limited experience experience, we've always been been it's always been a a period of life instead of being an extended this is a forever yeah when you're in it it does absolutely feel like this is it's forever 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 yeah.
0: Yes. And there's
2: a, there's a lot like women have different r- stories and reports of how they deal with those ebbs and flows in their desire, where some people are comfortable kind of with a waited out type yep, of yeah, thing. Yeah. And some people want to do something more active yeah. about trying to um, spark the desire again. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably ends up being one of the determinants of like who might decide to get some help and yeah. who might not. Um, whether they feel like it's uh, kind of normal which it is yeah it's right? super normal. <laughs> which are, is super normal but um, there's lots of reasons why people might not feel that way yeah,
1: yeah. I know I yeah. know any time especially when I started experiencing kind of low sex drive earlier on it felt r- like shameful and isolating and like there was something wrong with me especially when it's kind of put against the narrative that's often out there in like Cosmo, for example. Cosmo. We're talking we're talking like 18 year old, 19 year old me who's like, well, I'm with my long term partner, I'm doing my thing. And then we would go through these periods where mm-hmm. like we wouldn't have sex for maybe month, two months, yeah. et cetera. And it didn't necessarily feel weird, but it was just one of those things that we would fall into and then we would realize it. And then you'd hear Or read like, oh, well, a healthy, a healthy relationship is Uh, having sex X amount of times mm, a week. mm -hmm. And then you're immediately like, it's been how Mm -hmm. many days? Let me take out my calendar Mm -hmm. and remember...
0: Yeah. What's wrong with me? And then you go through a period of shame and guilt. Yeah. That's how I have experienced. And then it's like, what's wrong with me? Why am I not fulfilling this quota that Cosmo is an expert in? Like, why am I not doing that? But now with doing the podcast and the conversations that we are having, finding out that it's so common. And like within just this year of doing our podcast, you and I, I think, have gone through, I don't know, how many periods of low sex drive
2: see so i find this very interesting that you're talking about periods of low sex drive in just a period of a year so how are you defining a period
1: this is okay (laughs) because
2: like if you've had many within one year then this is making me think that you're defining sort of a period of low drive as just like a month or two no so okay
1: it so my my okay I feel like we need to backtrack for a moment. (laughs) We've done that thing where we've gotten comfortable. We're sitting in my living room and we're like, everybody knows what's up. Everybody knows who we're talking to. This (laughs) is fine. Um, Let's let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. So
0: welcome to my living room. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you. Welcome. (laughs) And for those that are maybe tuning in for the first time to our podcast, this is Sarah.
1: And uh, this is Lindsay, and we're actively sitting in my living room with my stinky dog. <laughs> oh, stinky Zoe. In the flesh <laughs> once again.
0: And this is our first In Flesh interview for l- since March. Since March. Since March. Since so our live show. Thank you for right. <laughs> volunteering to do this In Flesh interview with us, mm-hmm. Natalie. Um, but with that being said, um, would you... J- Would you like to tell our viewers a little bit about yourself and your backstory of being a sex therapist? How did you... Come into being a sex therapist. That's a weird way to put that.
2: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Uh, I'll start with introducing myself, maybe, too. So, I'm uh, Dr. Natalie Rosen. I'm a clinical psychologist um, and an associate professor of psychology. And also, I'm in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Dalhousie University and also a sex therapist. Um, So, I have a small private practice here in um, Halifax. So, i how did i get to be a sex therapist it's funny because i was reflecting on this on my way uh, this afternoon when i was thinking about the podcast and i did you guys listen to sex with sue yes Oh you my too young
0: okay yes, yes i did absolutely okay. not
2: very frequently because i wasn't allowed you would have been young yeah
1: i was not allowed but
2: yes okay so when i was <sighs> in high school i have lots of memories of like tuning in on my like ghetto blaster to uh, sex with Sue on Sunday nights because I grew up in Ottawa. And uh, I just was super interested in it even as a high school student, which is not abnormal. I mean, high school students are interested in sex, but I was interested in like this advice giving around sex from Mm. a very young age. So then I went off to university and studied psychology and there was a human sexuality class and it just never really went away. Like I was really interested in human sexuality. I thought all the topics were fascinating and I I loved psychology and I loved thinking about, you know, both problems and like natural behaviors and just all the variability in between Mm, mm -hmm. and uh and i knew i wanted to be a clinical psychologist and so when i started looking at where i could study for clinical psychology at that time so this is back in 2002 ish time um there were very few places where i could train go to train and actually get um training in sex therapy at that time hmm. now there's like a bunch of clinics and services you go to a lot of Canadian to study psychology and you could get trained in sex therapy at the time it was really just McGill University where wow. they actually had a um, sex and sex and couple therapy service um, uh, that was affiliated with the McGill University Health Center and so I wanted to go to McGill because I was the only place where yeah. in addition to like getting my general um, psychology and doing the research and all that stuff I could get trained as a sex therapist. So I went off I went to McGill Amazing. and starting right away I started um, like practicum placements where you start your training there and I just still loved it. And that's like kind of what happened I was just an intro like if you asked my parents they would say. Yeah, she kind of wanted to be a sex therapist from like a really young age and she just went on and I think it was just this element of feeling like it was an area that nobody talked about mm-hmm. but yet super central to happiness and to health wow. and like why was there only one place in Canada doing training for clinical, yeah. sy- to clinical psychologists um, in that area and you know I think it speaks volumes that now here we are you know, just under 20 years later, and you could go to a lot of schools and get that kind yeah. of training now. It's really yeah. different. But at the time, I was just really like struck by that. Um, and kind of the rest is his. like when I came to Halifax, which is now, I came here in 2008, so 12 years ago, there was no sex therapist here like really? I was one of the like there were yeah really like there was um one of my colleagues who I met really who had the training but she was working at Dow Counseling so she only really got to do sex therapy when there were students who brought that up kind of because that's what she was but there was no one in private practice who was really ha- like had the training and, the, and it was like a, a niche part now there's four of us so it's quadrupled I guess (laughs) there's not that many still that like really like market themselves and that have that background and that training there Mm -hmm. are a lot of there are couple therapists but there's a real history of seeing sex therapy as this niche so Mm. even couple therapists would refer out to sex therapy even though they were doing relationship work and that's sort of a a historical thing that kind of persists still um, because there's this idea that it's really so specialized, and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. only certain types of people know how to do the sex therapy kind of thing. Um, wow! So, yeah, Wow. that's kind of my that's the beginning of my story, I guess. You can ask follow up questions if you have
1: Blew
0: any. You, <laughs> my mind, I'm just so fascinated that from an early age you were having these thoughts about sex, and and like a very you know knowledgeable way like you were you were interested in knowing more because i know when i was a teenager and talking about sex it was just like give me the scoop Mm -hmm. you know like what's this about you Mm -hmm. know like but this was with my girlfriends yeah but I think everyone's talking about sex but Mm -hmm. I just think it's so interesting from an early age like you had that fascination to go a little bit deeper yeah
2: Yeah. and the advice giving part too because there's so much like the thing with sex with Sue was she was a straight shooter right Mm. and she seems so comfortable talking about and answering any types of questions and she normalized everything too yeah everything was like you're not abnormal because of that or like that's not a freakish question and just you're asking that question probably lots of other people are too yeah and she just had this way like this is at least my memory of it i don't i don't know if i'm glorifying it. but that was the that was my memory of just feeling like these are just things that lots of people think about and it's okay to talk about and also this feeling like a lot of people having problems about their sex lives yeah you know, this is oh, an issue 100 like, percent. and that's per- that's still true right um and a lot of people and i still feel this way suffering in silence
1: yeah absolutely oh 100 well, it's, it's so interesting like Even to say, I think you said that it was like 12 years ago when you came here, there was nobody who was specializing in sex therapy. Like, of course, there's going to be so many people suffering in silence when there's
0: literally no help available. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? It blows my mind. And I still think that even though sex therapy is a little bit more prevalent today, Mm -hmm. um, there is still a lot of information out there that is maybe misinterpreted about sex therapy and mm-hmm. I guess this leads to the next question of what is sex therapy mm-hmm. because so many people have no idea yeah. I know when I first heard the term I had a completely different idea oh, of what yeah? it actually is do you want
2: to say that part first <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: before I first so yeah. I will I I remember years ago um we have a family friend and her daughter was going to school and to university and she was studying to become a sex therapist. And my mother-in-law had told me this and she's like very, very like kind of, you know, it was like gossip. Like, did you hear Mm. she's going to be a sex therapist. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what? And this is my mother. She's very conservative English. So Mm -hmm. it's very, very odd for her to be like talking about like sex. And I, I just had this image of this girl that I knew being in a room with a couple and them being the couple being naked and her being like, okay, <laughs> now you put your hand over here. Cause this is what she likes. Mm. And this is how you communicate the pleasure that you want to receive to your partner. And now let's see how you guys share intimacy. And I will give you tips, which mm.
1: that was what I thought this of is funny to me though, because there are, there are folks who offer services like that. that le- and exactly. Like, i i know individuals who work in that yeah. in that
0: sphere, and that's what they do i was thinking more of like like tantra practitioner like sensual mm-hmm. you know uh, there's a term there which we have a very good friend serena serena what is serena down haynes and her, I her know, title... I, I,
1: I just butchered your name, friend. I'm so sorry. <laughs> anyway. It is
0: late on a Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's not even late. It's 7.40. <laughs> anyway, so what I was thinking of was completely different. Mm. Um, I have since... Full disclosure, I, I am seeking... I am in sex mm-hmm, therapy. Mm-hmm. So I do have an understanding of what mm-hmm. it is now. And I had an understanding of it before I went and sought it out. Mm-hmm. I didn't go into it thinking that someone was going to sit down yeah. with me and my husband naked. Right. But... <laughs>
2: Which is kind of, have you guys watched Masters of Sex? The <gasps> show no. Best? no, Really?
1: I know shocking,
2: This right? is almost like homework for the two of I you I then. It's gonna okay. It's, okay. Straight from it's, the sex therapist, I'm giving, taking well it. Well, it's going to be giving you your, your history of sex okay. therapy lesson, right? Ooh. Because so, you, there, you know who Alfred Kinsey is though? No. No. Okay. So also, hist- you guys need have some history taking to do. Here we so go. history is in the 50s, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, Kinsey is in the 50s. He was the first uh, researcher to take sort of like an empirical approach to the study of sex. So he was, he did thousands of qualitative interviews about people's sex lives and then he like mapped out and used, you know, numbers and data to write a book about the male sexual response and the female sexual response and report sort of like prevalence rates of how frequently ma- people masturbate and all this kind of like business so he's sort of considered one of the like fathers of sort of of sex research history a couple 20 years later uh, Bill Masters, gynecologist, and Virginia Johnson, who was his secretary, and then his like research assistant, and then his wife, uh, and then and you can see why they made a TV show out of uh, this, right? So lots of drama and everything. <laughs> anyway, so that's in the uh, in the '70s. They were the first ones to bring sex into the laboratory. So they were the first ones, and they got ethics approval for things we would well, I don't even know what ethics looked like at the time, but things we would never be allowed to do nowadays. Which is how we know half the stuff we know about in psychology. Are we talking so about like these, like
0: old studies? right people coming in and having sex yes. in front of researchers yes wow. and recorded. <gasps> oh my god so Lindsay. The, so i would sign up for that shit yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so they were the first ones to bring people in the lab hook them up to stuff. they had a camera on a dildo like to see the inside of women during an orgasm all that you'll learn all this when you watch the showtime show ladies um so i'm so
1: excited to watch
2: this yes you, it's on showtime so if you get crave you can probably access oh it or you can god. download it or whatever so um, they were the first ones to to actually map out the sex what at the time, there's lots of debate now about um, the se- what is the sexual response cycle, But they were the first ones to say, you know, you've got excite, desire, excitement, uh, arousal, ejaculation and orgasm, and resolution as these like stages of the sexual response. And they each of those stages were associated with a physiological response through the studies. Okay, huh. I can't remember exactly why I started talking about this. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> we were, well, the question
0: was what is sex therapy yes so. okay
2: oh I know so um, right so they were the first ones to do uh, like mapping out the sexual response and they were also the first ones because you were talking about what sex therapy looks mm-hmm. like and it was people it to um, develop a technique which we do still use today in sex therapy it's one of the only techniques that's kind of specific to sex therapy called sensate focus no Sen- did you say You're sensate s-
0: sensate Oh, sensate. I see. Like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, sensations. yeah, sensation. Yeah, yes, okay. got it.
2: Yes. Um. So and <laughs>
1: what <is> that <laughs> look, Sarah? Because <laughs> I totally thought you meant sent the show, the, the sensate. the yeah. show. And I was which, like,
0: which oh is my God? What like, is this link? <laughs> what is this? What have I tapped into? <laughs> yeah, sorry. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Go <ahead>. So sorry.
1: <laughs> sorry, I'm still just laughing about you thinking that sensei it was named after this sex therapy now i mean there's a lot of sex in that show there is a lot of sex it's a
0: great show great show anyway so
2: um so they were the first ones to develop this technique called sensei therapy or sensei focus which is essentially sort of um, a staged process which you can go through with couples to remove like the performance demands Mm. around sex and performance anxiety. So like the first step of it would be um, both members of the couple are naked and you do sort of exploratory touch. One person being the toucher, one person being the receiver, with um, like no judgment. There's a mindfulness component to it because mindfulness, of course, Love is really it. like move. There's a lot of movement mm-hmm. towards mindfulness in sex therapy mm-hmm. as well. Um, so like non-judgmental awareness of sensations, and it's not pleasure focused. It's more just like exploratory, mm-hmm. um, being in the moment, and with no. Um, pressure for it to move into something sexual. Mm. So it's actually like part of the assignment is it cannot get sexual. So Mm -hmm. if you want to have sex, it's got to be later that day or another time right even if you like become a bit aroused or you know the man gets an erection or anything like that like that's not what the exercise is about and part of the reason why that's so important is because we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and then it's hard to focus on like the sensations and just being in the being in the moment and experiencing those sensations that would be like step one and Mm. then step two when you build when you build the next place that you build to would be um including some genital touching Mm. but again without the goal of like stimulating to orgasm or anything like that it's much more like um, exploratory um, and then and it moves on from there. Yeah, That's so you sort awesome. of get the idea. Uh-huh. So Masters and Johnson were actually the originators of that. Although there's been like more research and a little bit more like understanding and development of the, that sort of technique or, or type of intervention since then. But it's still really you know a common um, either starting point or place that we we I often um, you know use with couples. But it's an assignment at home. We're not doing it in the therapy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like those like you go over what it looks like, and then they go, and then they come back, and then you talk talk about. Like how it went. So when
1: I come to see you, there's not a bed in the room. <laughs> there is
2: no bed in the room. <laughs> a yeah. bunch
1: of lube. Uh, exactly. Some yeah. cuffs. So I'd be really <laughs> into that. I, yeah. again, not going to lie. Though
2: I might have some, like, um, some, what did I, what did I bring out the other day? Um, oh, it's going to come back to me later. Like, I'll have some, like, props that yeah. I might show to be like, you might think about this. Or you might think about that. Um, there's a really, oh, now I'm going to blank on it. I'll have to look it up in my phone. An awesome new product. That I've been recommending so much to women who have pain, and now I can't think of it. This is a moment where is we it pause a on.
1: lube? Is it is it a that Ona thing?
2: Yes, it's yeah, Ona. Yeah. was like it's because I've been on pause during the uh, pandemic. I haven't been seeing any clients, and so it's just not on the top of my yeah. mind right now. But the Ona. Yes Yes. so I mean I've had couples like come at the other like this year I saw a couple once they were driving from a distance so it was not really practical for them to come regularly it was like Mm. a four hour drive they were coming in and um i recommended the onad and two weeks later she emailed me and was like this changed my (gasps) life that's amazing it's amazing thank you so much we're not coming we're not driving four hours anymore to see you (laughs) Uh, so it's really great so i do have things like that around my office yeah that's awesome yeah
1: so it's it's not like interactive in office use it's hey here's some ideas of products that
0: might be helpful for you
2: yeah and Uh, I could show them the YouTube video of how to use it and yeah
0: so there is exercises that you give your clients but outside of that what does a typical session look like with you
2: yeah so it's gonna look different for different people right yeah and a lot of it is informed by sort of like your your um, the um, therapeutic kind of approach or modality that you you subscribe to so I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist primarily um, so or CBT, mm-hmm. um, which is a approach to therapy that is applied uh, across all sorts of psychological like mm-hmm. problems, depression and anxiety and and that kind of thing. And I use a little bit also of mindfulness or what's called acceptance and commitment therapy, depending on what the problem is. But primarily I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist and I apply that approach to the context of sex. Mm. So the types of techniques or tools that I use are really similar to how you might treat anxiety or something else. So we look at what that means is that we're looking at cognitions, right? So those are your thoughts, mm-hmm. and there are when people are having some sexual problems, there are a lot of thoughts that are going to your mind, oh, right? right? Yes. And so when you're having a lot of intrusive thoughts around, like, for example, like. What do I look like? This isn't sexy. I'm not really in the mood. What do I have to do tomorrow? Mm -hmm. Is my baby going to wake up in the next room? All that kind of stuff, (laughs) you know, (laughs) going through your mind. It's hard to also focus on arousal and to be in the mood and to feel pleasure. So a lot of, so there's cognitive work that goes on where we look at, you know, what are those thoughts you're having? Because the other thing about those kinds of thoughts is often they're happening so quickly that you don't even notice them. What yeah. you notice is that you're not in the mood, yeah. or that you're not having fun. Yeah. But you don't really notice this like inner monologue that's interfering with that. Mm-hmm. So part of the, the technique or yeah. the intervention is about becoming a bit more w- aware of that um, di- like that dialogue and what's mm-hmm. happening, yeah. and then trying to work with those thoughts a bit mm-hmm. more, right? Some of them are distorted in, in a way that like they're just not really mm-hmm. that accurate, or they're not that balanced. Yeah. Um, so we have some like techniques around working with our thoughts the other side of it is the behaviors so what is the context around your that's happening around your sex life if you let's say you just had a new baby are you trying to have sex at 10 at night because you're pretty tired by that mm-hmm. time of night right or like what are like what's happening in your, in how you guys are approaching sex or getting in the movement all that sort of like the, the context around mm-hmm. and the behaviors that you might be engaging in and how that might be contributing to the problem mm-hmm. that's kind of the behavior side mm-hmm. and then there of course there's also feelings and emotions but pretty hard to just like change your feelings right like you mm, know when you're yeah. getting in a fight with your partner and someone says to you calm down yeah. you're like I can't fucking calm down yeah. like mm. I'm not what yeah. it's just like just it's the not opposite. it's not that easy to yeah. just tell yourself to change how you're feeling yeah no. okay so the idea behind cognitive behavioral therapy is that we actually access how like affect how we're feeling by intervening at like what we're doing and what we're thinking
0: Mm -hmm. and then those
2: have like also effects on how you're feeling And it's the same idea here with things like desire which is also like a feeling right Mm -hmm. um and so that's the that's the approach for me so what it looks like in sex therapy is that after we've done kind of an assessment which takes a while can take a couple sessions to really uh get to know like get to know each other get an understanding of all the factors that might be contributing to the sexual problem um things that people have tried before like their history Mm -hmm. like lots of Questions at the start, um, we come up with some treatment goals. So, mm-hmm. wh- how will you know therapy's done? What's it going to look like? Mm-hmm. That's a, a question I always af- ask at the beginning mm-hmm. because sometimes people come in and they know what the problem is, but they don't really know what it's going to look like when the problem's gone. Yeah, that's a right? really
0: interesting question. Yeah, for you to say what's wrong, but what do you want? Like, what do you want the end result to look what, like? Yeah, what yeah, yeah. resolution? How Resol- are you going to know well, what does resolution look and feel like? Yeah, that's a hard question. It's a hard
2: question, and it's actually that's the point where often. I might hear something like, well, we're going to be having more sex. Mm. And then I have, then I, then we have to talk about that. Yeah. Because that's like a, like a frequency goal. Mm. And that's going to put a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. And when you don't feel like you're going to meet that goal, you're going to feel even more, that worse.
0: It's also like a blanket statement. Yeah. You know, because there's so much more that goes into being a sexual person other than just saying, I just want to have more sex. Right.
2: So we might talk about, um other ways to frame those goals so would it maybe be something more like um, I won't be so bothered or distraught or will not be so anxious about how mm. often we're having sex mm-hmm. as opposed to how or it might be something like I'm gonna feel more connected sexually with my partner mm-hmm. that's what that will mm-hmm. look like to so try and explore a little bit what some like realistic goals might be that will also give us a sense to be able to sort of track how we're doing
0: mm-hmm. you yeah. know like
2: that yeah. so we can check back on
0: it's
1: still kind of like the, the smart goals exactly but for sex yeah, that's it yeah. smart goals that. for sex
2: so yeah. that's also very early on and then um what it, so like session by session we'll come in we'll do like some check-in like how how are things going since the last time i saw you and try and get pretty specific to sex right away um and then we might have um i all, i often will say to them like what do you want to kind of put on the agenda for today is there something that's going on with you like mm. particularly if they've Maybe had some conflict around sex, and Mm -hmm. on top of that, and then we might have like sort of a like a topic or an intervention idea that we that are related to the goals that we set. Mm -hmm. So it could be like often 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 couples need to work on the communication about sex mm-hmm. like how to talk about it That's like big thing and and we need to do that early because yeah. that's sort of what we're doing in therapy is communicating, right? So if we need to like learn some skills maybe around how to communicate um, About sex then we might do that and then practice and like do it talk about it and that kind of thing um, mm-hmm. And then we might talk about homework like till the mm. next time I see you there might be something for
0: them to like do or work yeah. on
2: um, yeah. think about um, that's what it looks like.
0: Is, cool. is communication something that you discover in a lot of your clients? Like there's a, there is a, a lack of communication in a lot of your clients, not just in that one particular relationship that they're in, but more of a, like an historical view. Like, is that a very common thing that you come hmm. across?
2: Well, it's interesting because one of the patterns that I see often is that Couples will come, sometimes, like it's not the case for everyone, but they'll come in and lots of other parts of their life and their communication with their partner are just fine or yeah. great. In fact, yeah. like, because yeah. I often one of the questions I asked during my assessment is like, what does it look like when like communication's going well for you guys? Mm. Like, what does that look like? How, like wh- how you resolve a conflict? You know, how do you know that that went well? Mm. And then what does it look like when it doesn't go well? And it doesn't go well with the sex, but it does go well. Mm. Often in other circumstances, Mm -hmm. like parenting or money or things. And there's actually some research by a a colleague of mine... at Waterloo who did a study where she had couples come in and they had to talk about like a relationship conflict that was not sex related and then a sex related conflict and the couples report like a lot more anxiety around the sex conflict a lot they feel a lot more threatened by that conversation mm. a lot more vulnerable by the, so there's something about sex and sexual communication that is different than talking mm. about um, other relationship issues um, so I do see couples come in where like and I see the other two where like they the way that they talk about sex or they have difficulty is also similar to like general communication skills. Like it's not it's not confined to just sex. And they're going to benefit from the communication skills across the board.
0: Absolutely. But
2: there's an element of the vulnerability and the threatening and the shame and like all those like emotions that come that come with talking about sex for some people Yeah. that make it that much harder to have like effective conversations about sex.
0: Yeah that's something that really comes up within our circles within momgasm is a lot of um a lot of the women in our group, our mom, the Momgasm Den, when we're talking about like the most common challenges they face with sex, it's how do I talk to my partner about what I want and what yeah. I don't want? And there's just so much anxiety and shame um, just to start that conversation, just like just for the first few words to come out. Yeah. You know, th- that's one question that's always comes up is how do I start it? How do we begin And this? then it gets
2: harder if you haven't started it. And then you've been in a relationship for a while. And then it makes yeah. it really hard to bring it up later. Even though you f- might feel closer with your partner. Um, but you might feel like worried about hurting them. Yeah, yeah. Or like, well, I didn't bring it up before. So is it okay to still bring it up now? Yeah. And that can be a real barrier too. I was going to mm-hmm. say,
1: like, I, I feel like just from experience and other things, like the longer that you hold on to something, it becomes so much harder mm-hmm. to let it out because... You're also having to like recognize your role in all of the times that you didn't say mm-hmm. anything and how you've let that individual believe that they have yeah. been doing something wonderful and amazing for so long and you have to now like break that bubble for yeah. them but in the end it's going to get you where you both want to be but there's that like
0: oh yeah oh shit Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
2: one helpful way to approach that, because I totally agree with you, and I think that's a big barrier for a lot of people. But one of the suggestions that I would make to people if they came with that concern is, it's about the framing. Right?
1: Yeah. So when you can
2: frame it, what about framing it something like, "Could we try something different?" Mm-hmm. So it's not mm-hmm. about like I didn't like what you were doing, or I do, or I do, it's like. Let's try something different. I'd like, do you think mm. that we could try this time? I don't know, like how I'm going to feel about it, but like, you could even just say it like that. I don't, I'm not sure, but like I thought it would be nice <laughs> <laughs> if you, if you, you know, a little bit lighter touch on the clitoris, like a little bit softer yeah. touch. Can we just try that
1: i i love this because it plays into uh the animal play that we attempted the other day oh, at your yes. uh inspiration there sarah yes i was i was for me i was finding it really hard to <laughs> get into my body and like i need to be really present in my body in order to engage sexually and feel fulfilled like i could have the mm-hmm. desire that I, mm-hmm. i'm like yeah having sex would be nice but if i'm not like connected mm-hmm. to myself it just Mm-hmm. we'll try and i'm mm-hmm. like yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i we were thinking about ways that i could like it, get into some embodiment practices and, and sarah had mentioned uh some some ways that they that you and your partner had surprisingly found some embodiment
0: <laughs> yeah we uh, my partner ali and i we uh we do a lot of experimenting and we come across that um pretending to be tigers is really hot um that just happened one Mm -hmm. day and then another (laughs) (laughs) so good so good and then another day we we often like to play animals with our kids Mm -hmm. our two boys and my husband will just like become an animal and the kids go wild and one day he decided to be a cow and i decided to join in and be a cow too and then there was this one moment we're down on all fours and we were facing each other we lock eyes and we're both mooing, and i'm like (laughs)
1: <laughs> why am I all of
0: a sudden turned on by being a cow in this moment? And then we we were both weirded out. And then he, like, tipped me over. He went cow tipping. And I was like, why is this so hot? But we were – I think it was something about – letting go of all of like these preconceived notions of how we should behave in front of one another and just being completely silly and letting go, like mm. just completely mm-hmm. letting go in that moment yeah. Yeah. and <laughs> being playful and yeah it was ridiculous and we were laughing but it ended up leading to intimacy maybe yeah. and maybe it didn't end up in like penetration mm-hmm. but it ended up in a form of intimacy sure. and that's one thing that Lindsay and I we'll often discuss and explore on yeah. this podcast is all the ways that we can explore intimacy outside of penetration. Yeah. And it just so happens that being a cow is one of them for <laughs> me. <laughs>
1: What's great though, is like I, my partner's quite introverted and it's like embodiment is not always necessarily something that like would come as naturally to mm-hmm. him as it does for me um, as a need and also as a practice. And so, <laughs> this is so I pulled the, Hey babe, Mm-hmm. this is what I'm feeling right now can we try something like I know this is gonna be really weird but can we just like be open and yeah. can we just try it and we did and it was hilarious and it was ridiculous and it was like we both did it we were like this is this is this is a no for us yep but it actually ended up leading into some amazing sex later because after we had laughed about it and yep. like gotten over ourselves I had realized it was like oh that actually did help me get in my body a lot yeah and now I'm like Oh yeah, I've arrived. We can we can do this.
2: Yeah. But you guys both just talked about two things that I think are can be like really key and the science backs this up too. One is and th- this is what's really cool is it's it's about this balance between intimacy and feeling connected to your partner. And sometimes doing something new yeah. together like also getting outside of your comfort zone sometimes it's gonna work sometimes it might not work but you both like you're seeing each other in a new light you're challenging yourself you're challenging each other I mean there are lots of ways to do that and one of the research projects that we're about to start is exactly about that. It's looking at whether um, among couples where the woman, this particular study is about um, couples where it's a woman in the, in the couple who is yeah. experiencing sort of chronic low desire, which reminds me that we never answer that question about how you define oh, we'll get the period there. of the low desire. We're but gonna get there. Um, the, so w- in that case, I'm talking about at least six months mm. of persistent low desire and it's causing distress. Yeah. They're getting upset about it. It's causing conflict in the relationship. Like it's a problem because lots of people might have low desire and periods of low desire, and it's not really a problem, right?
1: Mm. Well, it, there's there's also asexuality as well, which there are individuals sure. who absolutely that is there part would be of no distress, yeah. yeah.
2: There would be no distress in ter- personally, but I do see couples and individuals who identify as asexual where there's distress because they're in a relationship with someone who's sexual. Yeah, right? yeah. So that's a whole yeah. other ballgame. But anyways, so um, in the the new study that we're launching with couples, where a woman in the couple has this chronic low desire, one of the things I'm really interested in is this concept that is called relational self-expansion. And it's this idea, the idea that we're studying or that we have is that Couples who um, have more of these experiences that have this balance between novelty and intimacy, mm. that that can be a factor that helps them spark their desire or is linked to higher desire mm. relative to couples who um, are doing sort of the same old familiarity mm. kind of thing mm-hmm. or kind of shared time, but it doesn't feel like there's closeness. Mm. This That it's something about this balance between intimacy and Excitement, novelty, stimulation, playfulness, playfulness. So you guys gave great examples. Other examples would be things like exploring a new city or going on a hike together. Or it can also be things like seeing your partner, you know, give a talk or do something challenging that feels really sexy because you're like, oh, like, that's you and your element, you know? And so, I don't uh, get to see that that often, but now I'm seeing it and it's very sexy.
1: Hard yes. It's like, so post-show was great for you, Sarah, is what Hard uh, yes. Yes, yes. nodding <laughs> is about?
0: <laughs> I'm thinking more of the context of Ollie because like when Ollie was doing his master's, There was multiple times I got to see him talk in like front of people, and I'm like, God damn, I've never wanted you more. Yeah,
2: (laughs) it's cool to see your partner like in their element. It really is. Or you sometimes see that with when they're with their kids. I was just going to, literally Literally just going to go there.
1: I was like, for me, when my husband became a dad, I was so turned on. Yep, like just seeing him step into that role and and to find confidence in it and there's still moments now where it's like i'll kind of just be sitting back and like watching and listening and just mm-hmm. i'm like the loins are purring this is amazing <laughs> because you're seeing them in their element and and all of this like i don't know this this embodiment of confidence and it's i don't yeah 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 i totally agree with you yeah Absolutely. And, Freaking and i feel like f- for me anyway this is this is one of the reasons that i love um Anytime my partner has like is talking about work in in a way that's like he's done something and he's feeling accomplished and he's like, mm. yeah, like I got this hot deal or I did this mm-hmm. thing or I, I like I fixed a problem for my client. I'm like,
0: yeah, you did. Let's go yep. fuck about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not, not, not let's talk about it let's fuck about it
2: but so that's an example of something that we might talk about in sex therapy right so like that conversation about like i would define what it looks like we would talk about like what have you had and ex- like can you remember the last time that you like what types of activities would do that for you what would it look like can we schedule some of them so mm. there could be like homework related to that not with any kind of like and after you do it you have to have sex yeah. but it's similar to like when i was describing before the sort of sensate focus type of exercise that are about explaining exploratory yeah it's kind of about trying things on so that's yeah, what I yeah. often tell talk to couples about particularly when we're working on lo- someone having low desire which can be tough right yeah. which is very tough um, we, tra- we talk a lot about like what would it be like to sort of try this on you know mm, like mm. and try this out and what would be the things that would get in the way of you doing it like so what are all the excuses let's talk about those right yeah. what are all the barriers and what are all the things that are gonna like help you do it and make it happen for you Is it mm-hmm. about getting a babysitter is it about like you know all of those kinds of things yeah. um, so that's yeah then we would talk about it and they would try it and we would and that's what it could look like
1: I love that so that's sex therapy in a nutshell <laughs> so I guess here's a question who I mean this might be an obvious question but who would benefit from sex therapy Mm -hmm. specifically yep
2: so anyone who's a who's distressed or bothered by something going on in their sex life Mm. that's what i would say yeah so it's like so so who are we to say that someone has like a you know a kink or who's not interested in sex or even if they don't identify as asexual or who has erectile dysfunction or whatever it might be but they're like managing it okay like Mm. they're not distressed about it like they're they and their partner have worked figured it out or whatever like they don't need sex therapy Mm -hmm. right it's the people where uh, where it's causing conflict there's Mm -hmm. causing negative emotions for yourself or for your relationship those are the people who would benefit and this and
0: this relates to really anyone it doesn't matter what your sexual identity is you know we're talking about like lgbtq am i saying that plus plus, thank you um you're inclusive in that sense
2: absolutely so like all sex gender body types Perfect. bodies amazing all included
1: absolutely including like do you also see non-monogamous and poly Folks? lots i love it so that's like one of the things that's
2: really interesting because when i was training i'm trying to think like um so I never saw it like never never was just like not a thing yeah. in all my training and for years and years and then i would say in the last three or four years um i i have like had triads i have had um you know asexual folks um i've had couples who have open relationships um like it's not all polyamory might just be like dating like there's lots of different like configurations and i just ask them like how they're defining it or what it looks like for them um but just like a lot more common like really common i love super common
1: yeah that's An area where I I feel like, because my partner and I have talked about whether or not it's right for us and Mm. kind of dabbled, explored, which was a wildly exciting time for us. As far as like talking about new things and trying new things and and stretching.
2: Self-expanding experience, for sure. So wonderful.
1: (laughs) We didn't end up following through, or at least haven't yet. Um, There's a pin in it at the moment. Mm -hmm. But that's an area where I feel like if if we were to ever embark on it that's where sex therapy could be so invaluable like having that outside
0: person like a guide right not necessarily no, no but like someone like a soundboard mirror not not a mirror but like someone you can just go to and be like hey this is what we're talking about this is where we're kind of like struggling with or having an issue with and we just want we need someone here to hear us out and like being what mediator
2: it only if it becomes a
0: problem though. yeah so that's say. what it comes
2: back to it's like if you came to see me from your description just then about like oh and it was so <laughs> exciting and it was so wonderful be to like, talk about it. we haven't done anything i'd be like okay so why like are you are not even like like there's not a problem yet go try and then if it becomes right. a problem yeah. Come back. Yeah, yeah but like yeah so um a lot more of that um but you know what's interesting at the same time is it's still really shrouded in mm. like silence and like shame still not within the poly community when you mm. find your community but it's like very much like a community of people yeah and i think among the sort of like Oof. heterosis and like just regular old I don't know like like people don't talk about it a yeah. lot but it doesn't mean that I don't think they're doing it because the people that I see
0: yeah you know true.
2: just look like everyone else in the community right? I
1: feel like that's that that would be similar for the king community as yes, well and I know they're often the intertwined yeah. in a lot of ways too yeah um which is is so it's one of the things that I love so much about doing this <laughs> and having these conversations and expanding my own sexuality and sexual exploration has been finding these communities that I didn't know existed mm-hmm. and and not just finding the communities that I didn't know existed but like experiencing the pride and safety and consent and communication that exist within these communities mm-hmm. that I so wish I saw more of in mm. like the straight hetero cis mm. communities, yeah. When it comes to sex yeah. and sexuality, mm. yeah.
2: The other thing is that the science has come a long way, so I would say that like consensual non monogamy, which is sort of your umbrella term for yeah. all the stuff, so because that's the key component too, is that everybody knows about it. It's yes. Very different than infidelity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and has, just as a result has very different consequences Um, but consensual non-monogamy is has blown up in the sex research field in terms of the amount of studies so honestly five seven years ago handful of studies now you google scholar it and there are there's so much research coming out and most of it's all just saying everybody's fine They're Mm. like just as satisfied in the relationship with their Mm. primary partner. Mm -hmm. if That's the combo. Their kids are fine, Mm -hmm. just as stable. There's no worries about like confusion. Oh, my mom's dating this other person or whatever it might be. The kids are fine. Their mental health is fine. Like it's and it's a little bit different than the kink community where there is a bit more of a history sometimes of um, Mm -hmm. mental health challenges. But um, in the in the consensual non monogamy, most of the research coming out is saying like the just looks the same as everyone else. Wow. that's yet. really It's not like they're less satisfied, and that's why they have to go outside their relationship, or like no. they're not having satisfying sex with their primary partners, and that's why they're going having sex with other people. There's not it, that's not what's bearing out in the right? studies. Hmm.
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah, that's really really interesting. Cause I I didn't I've definitely had those thoughts of like what how does it affect the children and like thinking about it in, in my. My relationship and like future, if it could be something that, that we would be interested in, like how would it affect the family unit, you know? Yeah. And that, well, that's one of the reasons that we
1: were like, okay, I think we need to put a pin in this for a while because we aren't at a position where we could easily yep. access the babysitter right. in our current situation because we still have a kid that wakes up frequently yeah and mm-hmm. so i was like sure we could make it work but i don't want to do it if it's going to add messiness or stress to our totally. life so it's just it doesn't make sense right now
2: yeah so it's just context right exactly. and it's not something to enter into necessarily lightly either especially yeah. when you're in like a long-term committed relationship that you are really committed to and mm-hmm. that you value then there's going to be lots of conversations that happen around that and there's going to be a period of adjustment and there's gonna be you know things to work through as there might be if one of you took a new job that was really yeah. stressful on the mm-hmm. family or you know like I mean there's a lot of emotions around that too and I think that um communication is really key um and yeah
0: yeah, yeah absolutely communication yeah. is key I think in every in every regard <laughs> <laughs> in yeah in, honestly in, yeah every regard mm-hmm. yeah um so i have been thinking a lot and this is something that i was really really excited to talk to you about and this is just something that popped into my head the other night as i was journaling about our conversation Mm -hmm. that we're having and one of that i was laying in bed uh the night before with my partner and we were talking about sexuality and sexual identity and more kind of in a negative view but what I took out of it was thinking about sexuality in the same regard as mental health and physical health and looking at sexual health as just, just as important as as your mental health and physical health. Mm -hmm. But we rarely have discussions that center sexuality and that kind of, that lens. Mm. And so the other day I put out this question to our, our followers on Instagram and I said, I'm really, I'm genuinely curious to know what everyone's idea or view of Mm -hmm. what healthy sexuality looks like Mm -hmm. to you or Mm -hmm. what sexual fulfillment uh, looks like to you. And I really wanted to ask you, being a sex therapist, if you have a definition. like Because I was like, I actually looked it up to see if there's like a proper definition of what sexual health looks like. And nothing really came up. So I was wondering if you have a definition of what, sexual health, being sexually healthy, looks
2: like. I mean, there is a definition according to the World Health Organization. Like Ah. you can go to the WHO and there will be a definition will come up. And the the positive of it is that it used to be, you know, absence of disease. So that was sort of like it was sexual health used to be really defined in terms of like no dysfunction, no disease, this kind of thing. But they've revised it. And now it's also about well-being, right? It's not it's not just about the absence of disease and dysfunction. It's also about the presence of pleasure and satisfaction. Ah. But I don't think we can define it more specifically than that because mm. it's such an individual experience and mm. people's sexual like what they consider what they're going to be satisfied and feel good about is going to look different for everyone. Yeah. And that like yeah.
1: this ties into to health and yeah. mental well-being too yeah. because what somebody can what somebody's capacity is for certain thoughts I- or certain stressors is going to be completely different than somebody else's. And, I mean, physical health is something that I could preach about forever with this whole lie that we've been sold that physical health is a certain size or look, which isn't true. It should be more about individualized feeling of, am I thriving in my space? Am I thriving in my body? And what do I feel like? And what does that feel like for me? And it's going to be completely different than what it might be for my partner or my
0: kids or my friend, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But this is the thing is that, when sexuality is brought up into a conversation i feel like there's one note of what sex of what having a healthy sex drive and i know that's kind of specific saying sex drive but that's the that's the context that we talk about sexuality it just always comes back to sex drive how often are you having sex do you orgasm that's that's the bottom line that that is really i find is prevalent within society and then The conversations that we have about pleasure and everything, I feel like those conversations are very niche, but I feel that that's where the conversation of sexuality should be going, of exploring intimacy that is not just central to penetration, exploring pleasure that's not centered to sharing it with another person. Or to ending with an orgasm. Exactly. Because...
2: Lots of times it might not. And yeah. that's really okay for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. And a
0: lot of people experience and they, and that. And it really is
2: okay for a lot of people. But they they live in silence about that. Right. Yeah. Like they don't want to like tell people that like last night I had sex and my husband orgasmed. I didn't. But that was great. And I was happy. And we went to bed. And yeah. I felt very satisfied. Like,
0: yeah, you can still have great sex without orgasming. Orgasming does not quantify great sex. And
2: there's also a lot of benefits that come from sex beyond orgasm, like feeling close to your partner, like feeling like you've pleasured your partner too. like a lot of people get men and women and people of all shapes and sizes and genders and sexes experience pleasure by knowing that their partner had pleasure yeah too like that's really important uh to a lot of people
0: yeah absolutely so what are some ways that we can better support our sexual health you know like yes we just discussed like playfulness with your partner um uh exploring different things but like what are some ways you know when we talk about physical health it's like oh Go for a run. Uh, eat some good stuff. See, uh, I resent that. You, I know you would resent that, but like that, <laughs> that's. But that's the general take when you say, "How do you stay physically healthy?" But maybe
2: that's the reason why we shouldn't have a general. Uh, thank this you. Is what uh, you need to thank do. you. Right? Because there are some people that that doesn't fit for. So I don't know that I would be able to like totally. So then, the, that. so hold on. Yeah. Define I, it for can yourself.
1: I, can I relate this back, like using nutrition as the specific example of how this could be helpful? So, somebody can eat strawberries and like strawberries can be labeled as like this healthy, vibrant, amazing food. And sure, it might be that for you, Sarah, but I could have um, a leaky gut or a GI issue. And I could be under the impression that eating strawberries is the thing that I'm supposed to do because it's on the Canada's food guide, because my nutritionist told me to, because I grew up and all of the things that I've been told is that strawberries are inherently good, but I eat them and the seeds are abrasive on my gut and actually cause me misery and pain and yeah. inflammation and yeah. more issues so to say that there are like xyz that is perfect for your physical health or xyz that is perfect for your mental health or xyz that's going to be perfect for your sexual health isn't necess- like is not
0: inherently helpful because it is something that it is so individualized well this is perfect because this is answering my question by you not being able to answer that <laughs> You've answered the question. I
2: mean, what I can tell you
0: is that people who like having
2: a satisfying sex life. So it's not an active, it's not like a number or something. No, but feeling no. satisfied with your sex life is um, a predictor of a whole range of of positive well-being outcomes, Mm -hmm. both physical health, Mm -hmm. mental health, Mm -hmm. relationship health, you know, but the key thing there is about it being something that you feel good about, whatever that might look like.
0: Mm -hmm. right? So
2: when you if you're asked like on a self report measure Mm -hmm. about like on a scale of zero to ten or whatever it might be, how satisfied you are. That's just that's like you're you're interpreting satisfaction in, in your own way, yeah. you know, but the higher you score, the better it's going to be linked to these positive outcomes. And that's very different than a measure of, let's say, sexual function, mm-hmm. which might be a question about, like, how much difficulty do you have achieving an orgasm? Do you have pain during sex? Um, Can you achieve Desire, erection? arousal, like and the erection and early ejaculation? Yeah, all those things. This is about functionality. Yeah. And we actually know that people who experience like chronic dysfunction can also still it's not necessarily correlate exactly with like how satisfied they are yeah, because yeah. they can figure out ways to adapt or um you know to, to adapt the sex relationship and still feel really good about it yeah. um so they're not like perfectly correlated That's and so it's the same fair. with distress about like just because you have a dysfunction i think i already talked about this at the beginning doesn't mean that you're going to need sex therapy
0: yes mm. this is perfect because Again, like by not by by not being able to answer that question, you have answered it perfectly because we, I myself, I'm not going to speak for the entire population, but I, yeah, (laughs) well, if you want me to, um, but I have definitely defined healthy sexuality as. Um, how many times I'm having sex? If I'm going to achieve orgasm, mm-hmm. what I look like? Like if my body looks a certain type of way, you know what I mean? But to say that none of that factors into having a healthy sexuality whatsoever—you have to define it yourself. Yeah, and yeah. it looks different and for it, everybody. And it, those can—I was going to say—can
2: factor in, yeah. because they can be interfering with your satisfaction. But, yeah. and, but this is right? the thing:
0: define it for yourself. It's going to
2: be different, for right? People, yeah. And
0: so don't pers- don't don't think when you so Lindsay whatever sexuality looks like to you, sexual fulfillment mm. that doesn't mean that's the be-all end-all no. for everybody else but I feel like a lot of people will c- would compare their sex life to yours oh my God, or yeah. to mine and be like well I'm not doing that what's wrong with me I'm but, not
1: putting a shower head up my butt right what's but wrong with me but
0: equate that to physical <laughs> health it's like I don't you know I don't do that but I still feel good or you know you have to you really have to put you have to explore it. Be curious yeah, yeah. In, in every yeah. regard. But I, I that is not a conversation that is prevalent of being curious and, and going out and exploring and getting to know what your sexuality looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does it look like so to you? So that's kind of
2: one of the challenges that's different about sex because it does happen in a, m- most of the time in sort of a private sphere, right? Mm-hmm. Behind closed doors. Yeah. It is a private experience. And so we kind of only see it on TV yeah. Yeah. or like in media, which is a version of sex that is not realistic and all. that's different than i think when when, when and, and because we don't talk about it as much with our yeah. peers and stuff um it's different than these other realms of our life with um other health examples like eating and things like yeah. that where we can have other sort of like experiences that are a bit beyond what happens in the media and stuff mm-hmm. um th- and that's why we kind of we have this little bit of a like a paradox around sex where it's like on the one hand we don't talk about it enough on the other hand it is a pretty private experience and personal experience too and some people yeah. don't want to like be sharing yeah. so it's hard to get that normalization to happen unless we have these like conversations like we're having right now so yeah. i think there's a, a real element of being able to hear and talk about it and sometimes like not feel like you have to say exactly you know what you're doing yeah. but we can still buy he- like but still have these conversations around yeah. what what might be
0: normal and then, is just normal, to throw a wrench everything. into it all, yeah. then you go and have a baby. <laughs> yeah, oh, and then sense. thing just gets all fucked up. <laughs> well, maybe not. <laughs> or maybe not. But there's then this is the next question of like sexuality during these periods in your life or transition where you're transitioning to a new part of your life.
1: And I mean, this can also for me anyway, this ties into kind of what we were talking about at the beginning where we're going through like periods of infrequency or not, not having sex. Yeah. Um, Like I know for me, uh, after I had my second, I had a traumatic experience after the birth, which like shut down my sex Mm -hmm. drive completely for six full months. Yeah. And for me, it was like, because mm-hmm. it was it felt like my entire identity mm. was skewed mm-hmm. because I am a highly sexual person mm-hmm. and I've I've always been as long as I can remember mm-hmm. and so it was really it felt so foreign to be in a space where I was like it's like it doesn't even exist mm-hmm. it's like it's not even there it's so weird mm-hmm. but what's interesting is now that I've had um, it was actually really good for me to have that experience in, in some ways at least for me in in my experience it was really hard in the process of going through it but it also made a lot more room thank you a lot more room for deeper conversations and exploring intimacy outside mm-hmm. of sex and the different things that I could do to support my sexuality while not necessarily feeling like I had to engage in penetration or sure. sex or masturbation which was
0: it's great great but ooh, it
1: did not feel great at the time yeah. my god yeah. yeah so i
0: yeah. guess that the question is then is how what are some ways we can better support um our sexuality and our sexual health um during these periods of transition because i feel like for so many of us it is
1: well in this conversation I feel like my number one thing that I've learned would be to go to a sex therapist (laughs) when I am experiencing those periods like for for me it's like reflective wise to think back I for some reason that idea of going to see a sex therapist was like not even in my realm Mm. of consciousness I knew sex therapy exists Mm -hmm. but it didn't or existed but it didn't I think because my brain was like, well, I'm not having sex. Mm-hmm. So what's the point of going to see a sex therapist? Mm. I think that's probably kind of where that's that lies. Well, so that's
2: the thing about like, but were you feeling bad about it? Oh my God. Terrible. So that's the key, right? It, that's always the message, right? Is that, that, that's the determining thing, not the sexual, not the sexual issue. It's yeah. how you're feeling about it. Yeah. yeah.
1: And for me, it was that like loss of identity. I was yep. like, I don't I, uh. And it, it, it's, I guess here's another question for me personally um would be do you always see couples or do you also just see like that's one person great from a couple
2: yeah that's a great question so i don't always see couples lots of times i see individuals but if um if both are willing and interested in coming then i definitely recommend they both come So and even when so I oftentimes will see someone will come in um, and generally my practice um, like I'm known in Halifax more around women's sexual problems so I get mostly referrals around um, problems um, that like the woman experiencing but so she'll come in and say you know well but I'm the one with the problem. And that's where I sort of like hit the pause right there. Mm. Because when you talk, like, because that's, firstly, it's a lot of blame and it's a lot of shame. But sex, if if you're talking about sex between two people, then both members of the couple are like, not only impacted by the problem, but impacting the problem as well mm. and the issue as well. So um, we tr- I try and really like reframe right from the start, if we can, to this being something like a, a something for the couple to tackle together. Mm. And generally the partners are really willing and interested to come because they wanna know what how they can be a part of things as well they want to know you know the role that they can take and so even when i'm seeing women who is who are having pain during sex which is a very physical physically oriented issue um then i we i invite the partners to come right from the start because it's hard to bring them in later and it's hard also to like then move to phases of the therapy that like we often end up talking about what how does your partner react to that or like Mm. what is your partner Mm. saying and it's like then they're speaking for their partner right and that's a challenge too however there are also lots of reasons why partner isn't interested in coming or can't come Um, if there's children at home when or if their work like you know they're not able to come I mean I see people only during business hours right Mm, Um, there's lots of reasons so of course it's totally fine to not have the partner come Mm. um, as well or they'll just come and say no like I don't want my partner to come like I want to I just want to do this me like and that's fine too but generally I see couples yeah awesome thanks
0: yeah. yeah and so right now you're doing um some research into parents new parents yep. is it yep you want to talk a little bit about yes. that yes yep
2: Yeah. so one of the things that i'm really interested in is the transition of parenthood so this is like first time parents because that's the big transition and there are there is, is another is transition it well it depends on the person <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of transitions when you add a second in the mix, you know, yeah. um, for sure too. Um, but uh, and I would love to have some studies where we also like follow people long enough where they've had their first and then they their second, yeah. and their third and their fourth and their fifth. Um, oh
1: God. <laughs> <laughs> who are those people? Amazing. Um, I'm sure. and loving it. <laughs> no, it's not me.
2: Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, no. So the studies that we've been doing over the last few years have been first time parents. And um, some of the studies have been just about the postpartum period. And some of them are recruiting couples in from sort of mid pregnancy um, and following them through the transition. So the study that we have right now that we're actively recruiting for, um, they can, ent- couples who are interested can kind of enter it at two different points if they want, depending on where they're at. The first would be when they're pregnant around their second trimester kind of thing. And then um, we're following them till a year postpartum. But, and there's surveys that are at dis- different time points. Um, but another part of that study, which is another kind of entry point if they don't start in pregnancy is at around three to four months after the baby's born, which tends to be the time generally where couples are starting to um, restart their sexual activity Mm. um, and that or most couples have resumed sexual activity by about three months postpartum, some kind generally, um, but they're having some problems. Like Mm. it's not so easy, right? Um, That's just scary. Yeah. (laughs) So that that period of that three to four months is we're doing some daily diaries in the study, it's called. So they're doing actually like daily surveys for a three-week period that ask questions around like their relationship and their mood and their sexuality and uh, their desire. And this allows us by doing them on a daily basis to really get a window into like, potential variations right Mm -hmm. so like we we, some of the questions we're really interested in in this study is for example fluctuations in mood and how that relates to sexuality Mm -hmm. so if we have people doing surveys every day we can then look at well when your mood dipped on this day when you put a lower mood that coincided with like a dip in sexual interest you know Mm -hmm. or made it less likely that you were gonna have sex that day relative to all your other days when your mood was a bit higher and this kind of thing Mm -hmm. and so that's like a, a neat way that we can analyze the data and look at the data when we have these kind of like multiple reports happening where the person becomes kind of their own like comparison Mm -hmm. across these different days yeah so that's the other time when couples are entering the study but generally th- all of the research is about looking at you know who um adjusts well during this transition in terms of their sexuality in, in their own definition so looking at things like yeah. satisfaction mm. so people can adjust well right because yeah. they're satisfied even if the frequency is really low yeah. um and this kind of thing yeah. um and who's struggling more and can we predict kind of these groups of people so what are some of the factors that might predict how people are going to adjust mm. things like mood things like intimacy in the relationship things like um there's some we have some questions around like their parenting um communication like how they're communicating with their partner mm. how they're coping with stress during that period is kind of the
1: is question? there any yeah. sort of inclusion in the studies that you're doing that include like birth trauma
2: yeah so we ha- always collect data for sure on you know mode of delivery degree of tearing um, whether they had an epidural or not whether you had an episiotomy pain um recovery so we always have those questions Mm. we don't actually have questions about the um perception of it being traumatic which i think is really interesting Mm. because people can have like various degrees of tearing and and trauma to their genital people like who have given birth to their genitals um and whether that's going to be perceived as a traumatic experience Mm. is completely individualized but i would hypothesize that the more traumatic that someone felt it was the more impact it's going to potentially have on their sexuality
0: i'm so happy that you're doing this research and i know that you've already completed um um some studies because uh i think last year was when i watched the the post baby hanky hanky videos yes, yes. which are fantastic there's these yeah they're about like a minute long they're
2: all less than 45 seconds yeah which is very difficult to do i can imagine so difficult
0: so difficult to, but, but I was
2: so committed to keeping them short I was so
0: committed I thought you did <laughs> such a great job and where, okay where are these um, Google
2: post baby hanky panky yeah you, you can okay, find them okay we need
1: to put these like
0: in On, the desk yes, yes five, they're in, right, right? Like, pardon is there five of them so
2: there's five but there's yeah. a new one coming out it's <gasps> in production so I wanted to mention that tonight so what we did so this was a like a funded research project actually so i applied for a grant about so it's called knowledge translation so not so i do the research and what's really important to me i feel like we talked to maybe it wasn't with you guys i was talking with another um um blogger and uh, pregnant chicken have you guys do you guys follow pregnant no, chicken on social no, media I feel like i've
1: heard this person before yeah
2: yeah so i've been talking also a bit with her about uh, maybe collaborating a bit on some blog posts and stuff when I was telling her about post baby hanky panky too. Anyways, so I love my research and I, and I love everything about it, which you guys can probably tell, like I'm very passionate about it. And I, and I write the and we run the studies and then we write the publications. and Then they go in these journal articles, which other academics read. Right. Mm -hmm. And so one of the like a really important movement in science and something that I feel really passionate about is like, how do we get the results of the research to the general public, the people who we have been studying, how do we actually share the results? Mm -hmm. And so I embarked on this post baby hanky panky project to try and take some of our recent publications because each of the videos is tied to a particular study and research result distill it down to like a core message mm. that I want to be able like that came out of the data mm-hmm. and deliver it in a like accessible fun way mm-hmm. and I wanted to develop it such that whenever we had a new study we could add a new video mm. like it was a way to like just uh, get this um, like a, a pool or whatever you call it like a stash or something of videos that are a way to like communicate knowledge I of love that. the research so anyways so we did the five studies I actually have like a whole bunch of other publications that have come out but we just had like they're expensive and you have to put a lot yeah, of thought into yeah. developing the videos but we collab or i we collaborate with an awesome production company here in halifax called accomplice studios and they're super oh, yes. creative and they're amazing and so um Recently we had a paper come out that or that I really wanted to do a new post baby hinky-panky about and I called them up and they were like, yeah, let's do it. And they were using the same characters and she develops the like sort of like funny script idea. We got a lot of feedback on the first versions like it was um, some things that we tried to like wanted to make them even more inclusive because yeah. we had tried to um like the characters are non-human and they're, yeah, they're blue and
0: fruit and vegetables aren't they like no I they're remember?
2: blue eggs like they're blue oh, egg people yes. like we didn't like you know so that they're racial racially neutral but they're still a little bit like one of like m- gendered a little yeah. bit and part of that was because the research that the first set of videos were on was almost all heterosexual like um. participants so i also felt like i needed to be like true to the data yeah. so I kind of had a conflict with that but I've decided to throw that out the window because I don't actually think there's any reason why the research findings are not going to generalize to lots of different like configurations of people Interesting. Cool. so the new videos we really tried to be even the new video more inclusive of all like bodies and genders um so yeah we're just she just we they're doing the animation like this week and we should have the new video really soon that's so and cool
0: and then we'll launch it I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah. we'll definitely provide the the link in the yeah. description. Description, for this and episode. then we'll, we should
1: also throw them up in um, yeah. on our socials and stuff. They and are in the fantastic. Den. Um,
0: I I'm excited to see this. Yes.
2: Yeah, they're very fun.
0: Yeah, I, I I love that you are doing this this research. It's very vital research because one of the reasons why we started Momgasm was because we discovered that people were not talking about what sex was like post babies. Mm. That was one of our first episodes with yeah. yeah. sex uh, post baby, yeah. and Ba-da-ba-ba. You know, not only did I have it ex- um, to interview you, uh, not only did I have an interest in sex therapy, but um, the work that you are doing with new parents yeah. and postpartum um, individuals, it's so paramount. It is so needed. Yeah. And I love that you were delivering your studies and in an easy, digestible way with mm-hmm. these videos. Mm-hmm. You know, when I saw them last year, I was doing my own research for sex therapy and I came across them and... I was just, I was so happy to see it. I really, really, really was. I watched all of it and I was like, this is, fucking fantastic yeah, that they're you fun and they're
2: here. based on science yes. right? like they're like evidence-based research yes. and the other thing that we did um which would, the paper just came out a couple of months ago is we actually had like some surveys for pe- people who after they watch the videos to give yes. feedback and to report on um whether they would share whether they would share the videos with other people um whether it changed some of their perceptions around like how normal and uh, uh um these Sexual changes might be, yeah. Um, and the data came back really great. We also had a lot of healthcare providers. Um, we circulated on like healthcare provider lists. Oh, would awesome. you share these with patients? Like, what would you do? Um, and uh, the results were really positive. That people really liked them. That they found that they were that they would use them. That it did help them like reduce their concerns and feel a little bit more like, oh yeah, these changes are normal. And mm. um, so, so many, changes. So, so many, many changes. changes.
1: so many changes. So many
0: changes. So many. Yeah. About many great changes, though, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a conversation as well. You know, the conversations that we are having around sexuality postpartum is a, a lot of it is a negative lens of like, oh, my body has changed and I'm worried about what it's going to be like when I'm in the bedroom. But honestly, there have I have a lot of positive changes since having children to my uh shared intimacy with my partner yes I was like how you I'm trying, trying how you to be like- wear this I know I know, you don't wear this. I, know. <laughs> I got it I got it
1: um no like I I, I totally see what you're saying like yeah. I, I found for me a lot of the conversations that I kind of been wandering into kind of as I was in my pregnancy and coming out of it freshly a lot a lot had that kind of negative connotation or that like like the whole like you better get it in now. Mm. narrative. Mm. Was one I heard a lot, but mm. What do you mean get it in? Like, like like the 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 kind of locker roomy vibe of like you better fuck now before it's destroyed. narrative. Talking about genitalia. Oh. Like like with the being be- pregnant versus after birth.
2: Like your vulva is gonna somehow yes. be damaged by having a baby. Yes. Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay.
1: Or like your actual birth canal, your vagina is gonna be so stretched out that it's gonna be oh. a completely different experience for your hmm. partner. And hmm. blah blah blah. But in in actually experiencing postpartum um, rediscovery of of intimacy with my partner, for the most part, it was really wonderful. Scary very scary to like, I mean, pooping after you've had a baby is terrifying. (laughs) It's terrifying. Situation that Mm -hmm. not enough people talk about. Amen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Bring your own toilet paper. If you're birthing out of hospital, please. (laughs) Oh, you're welcome. I think this is like the third time I've said this (laughs) on the show, but it's very, very real. But I like outside of like the very real fear and like discomfort. That there was initially and in like relearning how things have changed, especially when it's fresh, that was obviously hard and scary and felt like one of those things that, that not enough people are talking mm-hmm. about, but the actual ability for deeper intimacy and connection with my partner in like being able to voice myself through that of like, this is okay. Mm. This is not going to work for us anymore, yeah. or at least not right now. Or Whatever it was mm-hmm. was really really helpful for emboldening me in in us having more open conversations mm. around mm. sex and sexuality and and how we're how yeah. we're fucking.
2: It's a great question though because I th- now that I'm thinking about it, it's too late because our study's already going. But for our next study, like we ask a lot of questions about like novel sexual concerns that arise, but we don't actually ask a lot of questions about novel or like positive changes that happen we capture them a bit by because we ask the questions about like satisfaction and this kind of thing Mm. but I would be really interested to even ask like an open-ended question about the like positive changes to their sexuality like what has changed that you see as in a positive way yeah because there is like a real focus on Mm -hmm. the like negative things Mm -hmm. which is fair like because there are like the, on average there's like
1: a disruption th- to yes. what you knew, and there's a relearning and healing process. Yes,
2: but and yeah. also for a lot of women, it might not have been your experiences, but a lot of women do experience you know a lot of new concerns like problems mm. that happen during that transition. Oh, right? <sighs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and also things like just being too tired for sex. Yep, um, very real. Feeling like your breasts, your nipples are sensitive in a way that you don't want them to be Breastfeeding touched. Breastfeeding. Breastfeeding yes. pro- can be a problem. Soaking um, the bed
1: with breast milk
2: yes feels doesn't doesn't feel sexy to nope. you um mm-hmm. mood postpartum depression mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. common postpartum right anxiety. and postpartum anxiety and mm-hmm. that like we we're talking about that chatter really being hard to like Monkey and brain. interfering with your um your sex your, your desire and interest yeah. in sex um desire discrepancies are really really common where mm-hmm. the uh one partner wants to have sex more than the other and it yeah. doesn't um and that's common in lots of relationships but it doesn't it's not always the woman like yeah. also the often like you know partners are really tired and like adjusting to the new roles and responsibilities too and might have a different um Mm -hmm. you know notice a decline in their desire so Mm -hmm. like it is like it is true and common that there are but it's not to negate the fact that there can be positive changes too and and to and to be fair it's not something that we're currently asking a lot of no but we probably should yeah
1: because i like i know for me long term um for sure it like, not only did it better our sex life as a whole, as far as, like, communication, intimacy, and all of the things that I already mentioned, but also, like, my ability to access pleasure has only expanded hmm. postpartum.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's great. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> <It's> fantastic.
0: <laughs>
1: but I would be curious to know if that is, like is there research out there for other women and like what Mm. or birthing folks like what was that
2: yeah yeah so when I said that it's really common it's interesting because one of the so the um we have a couple papers where we're like mapping that sort of trajectory and the new video is going to talk about moms and like women in particular mm. and how like their, flexu- their sexual function has fluctuated but we have another one that's coming out um, or that's you know going through the process towards publication which is looking at sort of the couple dynamic of sexuality across like satisfaction and distress and desire and frequency mm. and like the vast majority vast majority the majority of couples are actually doing pretty well like they're pretty satisfied across this transition they don't have a lot of distress about it Mm -hmm. some of that might be and that's despite the fact that um, that three-quarters of them are reporting lower sexual frequency, Mm. right? So that comes back to, again, that sort of like, you can be, frequency does not map well onto like satisfaction distress. Um, However, that being said, there are also big chunks of couples, like almost 40% that are reporting um, discrepancies in desire that I was just talking about where the mother has lower desire. There's also discrepancies, about a quarter of couples report discrepancies in distress where the mother, again, is more distressed about their sex sex life than the partner. And um, around satisfaction, there's a chunk of couples, about a quarter, that are reporting low sexual satisfaction during this period, right? Mm. So there are these like groups of couples that are struggling. And I think that that data sort of points to the idea that um, even though, you know, um, it's normal to see these declines in frequency and lots of people report them and many couples are adjusting or adjusting their expectations and doing well or having these even Mm. that you're describing in their sexuality there's still this sort of like at-risk group that might that would benefit from uh, potentially intervention or education or information that importantly goes beyond when it's safe to have sex and that you still need to use contraception Mm. which is essentially what we often still get Um, Mm. so a little bit more um, information normalization Mm. uh, education around potential changes and things that are mm. happening um to your sex life d- during this period yeah. may- is
1: a starting point mm-hmm. yeah yeah the whole like six weeks and you're good to go is a whole other rant i could whole get on a conversation mm-hmm. that we whole, could have a whole other thing that we could get into
0: but um but we are running out the of time. time the time <laughs> is approaching the time is upon us um nally thank time. you so much This was an amazing conversation. Good, I had Um, fun. Where can, if we have listeners who are really interested in participating in your research, where can they find this information? So they
2: can just go to my website, which is Natalie. O for my middle name natalieorosen.com and on the cover page they'll see uh, you know a link to uh, participate in research and mm-hmm. then they can click on that to see the descriptions of the studies and to send an email to us which would be awesome um, they can also see the link to the post baby hanky panky website yes. is on there yes we'll provide is a on link there. to the website as yep. well yeah information about sex therapy I was although say, are, yeah. you,
1: are you actively accepting clients right
2: now? so no <laughs> because part of that is well yes and no is the answer but like it is still COVID right yeah, yeah. now yeah. um and uh so firstly nobody's seeing people in person so it's all virtual yeah. uh, therapy yes. i have a wait list i have a sadly long wait list of um you know a while um but uh um you can always like people can always inquire I can give the names of a couple of the others sex- like everybody kind of has a wait list right now This the sex therapist it is true
0: when I did my research mm-hmm. uh, we were very lucky I actually did email your clinic yeah um, I've emailed another clinic back in January and they just got back to me this week and we're like hey you want a spot yeah so that's about what it looks like about yep. six months right yep. um, and but for me right now the
2: issue is uh, just uh, COVID and childcare and like yeah. privacy to do and confident confidential virtual sessions so everything's kind of on pause right now um and lots of uncertainty in the fall too with schools and stuff what that's going to look like um but uh, yeah and I'm also just not full-time in private practice right so some of the other clinicians Mm -hmm. um in Halifax who do sex therapy have like ramped up Mm full-time practices so they have bigger caseloads than I do um Mm -hmm. but uh
0: yeah and you have an instagram as well it's it's at cash Cash lab Lab. so
2: it's the couples and sexual health cash Uh, lab is uh yeah so there's a there's facebook there's twitter and instagram that my staff manage
0: Brilliant. And post on. Well, again, this was an amazing conversation and there's so many other things that I would love to talk to you about. Oh,
2: we can do it again sometime. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. For sure. I
0: love how excited you are about talking about this. So (laughs) again, thank you so much for this. It was amazing. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for making research sexy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Should that be the name of this episode? Making Research Sexy with Natalie Rose. Absolutely. Psst. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Did you hear? There's a Momgasm party happening every two weeks. That's right. Every two weeks, Lindsay and I are sitting down via Zoom and we are connecting with you, our luscious, loyal, loving listeners, in a never before seen way. Well, maybe that's not true. But it's been amazing we have been having hilarious nights playing games sharing stories and just getting real upfront and personal the best way we know how if you want to join head to our patreon where we are serving it up for only two dollars a month so what are you waiting for looking to spruce up your wardrobe get your hands on the official momgasm merch we've got sweaters we've got t-shirts we've got everything not really well not yet Head to link in our description and don't forget to send us some pictures of you rocking our Momgasm swag. We love it. And don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Momgasm Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And that's it. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.